Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another episode of the Influence Continuum. And I'm absolutely delighted to have as my guest, Dr. Jilly Jenkinson, who lives in the UK. Um, and Jilly, I'm just gonna introduce you first and then we'll get into it. Um, you're an accredited psychotherapist in the UK. You speak internationally and your company, is, you're the director of Hope Valley Counseling. And you have 25 years of expertise as a therapist and researcher. And you've been helping people recover from coercive cultic and spiritual abuse. You've gone on in your doctoral work to develop a very innovative program called Post-Cult Counseling, which you offer a certificate in post-cult counseling for UK folks. Um, and I'm so interested because you focused first with former members who've gone on to become mental health professionals. And we'll get into talking about the specifics of that course. But first, uh, I just want to finish your intro and say you got interested like me because you exited a destructive uh, cultic group. And I'm very excited that you have a book a forthcoming book from Rutledge called Walking Free from the Trauma of Coercive, Cultic, and Spiritual Abuse, a workbook for recovery and growth, which is scheduled to be published next year in the spring. And uh, hopevalleycounseling.com is your website. I'm so excited to have a peer, colleague, former member who's done the hard work to become a credential mental health professional, and now we want to pass it on to the younger generations, right, um, to help them understand more about working with this very challenging and unique population. And with that, Jilly Jenkinson, Dr. Jilly Jenkinson, please um, share with us a little bit about your story, how you were in a group and whatever you want to say about that in your exit and and the research you've done a little bit about your dissertation but mostly i'm interested in hearing your words of wisdom on how to help counsel former cult members take it away dr jelly jenkinson thank you <laughs> dr steve um, <laughs> how's that for an intro well, <laughs> i know it's a privilege to be here. Thank you. Um, so I became a kind of born again Christian when I was around 18. Um, unfortunately, mm -hmm. even before I joined the cult, I had a very kind of radicalized mindset. And that mm. led me to join back in the 70s, a community. It was the big in thing in the 70s to have community groups in all sectors of society um, and that became a highly abusive extremely controlling thought reform environment and I mm -hmm, left mm -hmm. after seven years but I didn't the cult didn't mm -hmm. leave me I left the cult physically but I didn't leave psychologically for another 14 years so I had another 14 years wow. of my life living in fear and worry that God would, was angry with me or, you know, all sorts of um, stress, really. And then... And I believe you you're, you represent 
tens of millions, if not more, people who've left abusive environments. So your story is particularly important. Please continue. Thank you. Yes, and it was highly abusive. There was physical punishment uh, for sin. And uh, so I, I, I was suffering PTSD, really, when I left. But um, uh -huh. I eventually, I guess, the hold on me started to loosen up. I mean, it's hard to really explain, but it, uh, we joined a church locally to us here where we live now. And I suddenly realized that I was just being controlled again. And I thought, that's it. I'm out. I'm out of this. But I didn't know what to do <laughs> about it. And there were no therapists yeah. available at that time. And so even though I felt a real mess at the time, I spoke with my doctor. It was back in the days in the UK where you had the family doctor and she she let me go and chat uh -huh. to her instead of counselling. But I had a chat with her and she encouraged me to start training as a counsellor. So that started the journey. Also, I'd encountered people mm -hmm. in the field who weren't ethical, who knew about a bit, like a bit about cults, mm. but weren't ethical. And I wanted to bring together the ethical therapy and the knowledge of cults. And so that's what started mm -hmm. me on this journey to training. And my first training was a yep. diploma in pastoral counseling. So I kind of learned to okay. chew over my spirituality in a way I hadn't before. And that was very helpful for me. Mm. Then I did a, um, mm -hmm. a master's in Gestalt psychotherapy because by then I'd left enough in my head to do a secular training. Previously, I, I couldn't dare to uh -huh. do a secular training. I was still... Because you so were too afraid the... of Satan and the secular world, Jillian? Yeah, yeah. Not probably sinning was sort of this big thing, but those they were wonderful. The people on that diploma, the tutors, and they kind of helped me make that transition. And then for my masters, I investigated what helps former cult members recover from an abusive cult experience. And it was then mm -hmm. that I started to really realize the idea of this pseudo identity this cult identity right and and i've read about mm -hmm. that obviously i've read what you've written about it and paul martin and mm -hmm. uh, western martin and people and i started to develop those ideas then i carried forward the study the same question into my doctoral research and um mm -hmm. yeah I think that's what you asked me. <laughs> yeah, and I want to just add that way back, there were two rehab centers in the United States. One was Wellspring that was founded by Paul yes. and Barb Martin that offered a two-week uh, intensive program for people coming out of groups to just learn and to digest and to begin the process of exiting their mind. They physically. And then Meadowhaven, which was a, 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 another uh, facility, more longer term for people who leaving, yes. especially community groups. Uh, that was uh, Reverend Bob Pardon and Judy Pardon's group. And you came to the U.S. to study 
and learn what they were doing to help people that informed your your approach. So Correct. wonderful. So um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the training program and the certificate program that you've created in the UK. Um, please share. Yes, I'd love to tell you about it. So I have to kind of go back a bit because I developed the idea of post-cult counseling, which was on, I sort of emerged from what I learned at Wellspring, um, which was to give people information, kind of information sheets. And eventually those information sheets got gathered together into a recovery workbook. And so mm -hmm. if somebody comes for post-cult counseling, they come for relational psychoeducation. So it's a therapeutic relationship, right. but also has this element of psychoeducation. Now, the reason for that, and mm -hmm. this is a message for therapists, is that if you work with Please. former members and you simply offer ordinary therapy, you're probably saying, and how does that feel? And you're probably being very warm and you're very present with them. But it's not enough because without right. the understanding of what happened to them in the group, actually, you're missing actually most of, of them, their identity, if they grew up in a I cult. I totally agree. Do you? Thank yep. you. I'm glad Go that ahead. you do. Yeah, no, so, absolutely. So that element ha has been missing in training in the US and in the UK and probably Australia and other places, I, I would say it is. So anyway, so there was the need to somehow kind of package something simple and straightforward that could be offered to former members. So I started to work uh, my first early on. I had someone come from Australia for two weeks and we worked for two weeks going through the workbook or the sheets as they were then. Now I'm too busy and I can't yep. do two weeks. So um, it got mm -hmm. kind of changed to I offer it in so many different ways. It may be a long weekend. It may be a week. It may be weekly, fortnightly, you know, whatever the client might need. And we go through the workbook. And right. I started to get a lot of contacts and sometimes quite overwhelming how many people getting in touch. I'm sure you have the same. And I think that's probably true of most people Absolutely. who work in this field. So I then thought, yep. actually, I'm getting older. It's time if anyone's interested, it's time for me to pass on what I know. And so I decided that I would see if anybody was interested. And I put together the certificate in post-cult counseling. So in simple terms, mm -hmm. it's teaching therapists to use the recovery workbook and the psychoeducation they already have training. They're mm -hmm. all trained therapists. Mostly I've targeted right. former cult members. 
um, who have done the okay. hard work, as you say. And I kind of put it out there. followed kind of your pattern, right? Former member who then became a mental yes. health professional. Exactly. But exactly. not necessarily receiving the specialized educational uh, approach. And that's what you were giving yeah. them, that additional healing of their own journey stuff exactly. so they could be more present and effective with their clients, if I understand correctly. Well, that's right, because the certificate is structured so that they have a five-day recovery workshop for themselves. So we ran a, I ran a group with the co-facilitator. All the, the first cohort mm -hmm. was here, actually, in this room before lockdown, and there yeah, were eight. in-person training. Uh -huh. In-person yep. training. And um, we went through the recovery workbook a step at a time. They really got to know each other as a cohort, as you do on a, a training. It was an intensive training. Then yep. they had to write a, an assignment mm -hmm. uh, reflecting on that, and they were marked on that. And then there were two other weekends yep. where I gave them kind of the history of how I, how it developed, going to Wellspring, Meadowhaven, the cult clinic in New York, which is also closed now. Um, oh, the cult clinic, I forgot, Rachel he, Bernstein. Yeah, I uh -huh. popped in there, yeah, just, just for a couple of hours. But it was great. It was such a fun trip. Um, yep. yep. So, and at each stage, they wrote an assignment. So, but also not wanting to indoctrinate them so one of the assignments right. was, uh, well, we had a big gap in the first cohort between September and March. So we got them to do a book review. One of them reviewed The Cult of Trump, uh, which I can see behind you. Oh, and, I know that book. <laughs> yeah, you wrote that book. <laughs> um, and they were able to just review any article or any book that took their interest. So that was getting them to expose themselves to what other people are writing. The, the final assignment, mm -hmm. the, the second assignment was just talk about an area of interest for you in the field. So it could be second generation. One wrote about purity culture, one-on-one -on -one cults, the influence continuum, identity issues. So they were super interesting to Mark. And uh, the final yep. assignment was was then comparing post-cult counselling to another model. So I'm not just saying this is the only model. I'm saying this is a model you can consider. This is a training. I'm offering mm -hmm. it to you, but you may prefer a, another model. Uh, so they had access to... Can, um, can I interrupt you for one second? This one. Jilly, can I interrupt you for yeah. one second and just say that I really believe anyway, as a therapist who's been working for four decades, learn a lot of different models. Don't feel yeah. constrained to only one model of anything exactly. and keep exactly. learning. So, exactly. you know, it's so important because models can be traps too. Exactly. I, I've and had people why... citing my own model back at me, and and oh. I'm like, wait a minute, I wrote that 30 <laughs> years ago. I've learned okay. a few things since then, and, you know. And don't get stuck in what you read of mine in 1988, please. Like that. Right. Anyway, go on, please. Right. You're showing exactly. the book on have... cult recovery, I believe. 
Yes, this is just the, the International Cultic Studies Association book. You can see it's got mm -hmm. lots of things sticking out. So I wrote a chapter for that, articulating <laughs> how I work. So great, whatever. But um, but also there are others in there who've written about their models. So they were able to use that and other books as a as resources and just briefly compare the models. And they yep. all had to do a presentation of each of their assignments and be uh, questioned by their peers. So some did fail their assignments and they had to redo them. And that was very hard. Mm. <laughs> sort of, you just don't really want to have to do that. But, but I needed to maintain a high standard. It hasn't been accredited. The right. certificate in post-cult counselling hasn't been accredited by another organization i looked into it but actually you know it just bumps the cost up so much and at this stage mm -hmm. if i made it to, into a master's then it would be worth having into a university but the way it works in the uk it works as as continuing professional development 12 days it's a really substantial piece of work and we have to have yep so many hours of CPD. So uh, that that's how it was structured. Yep. And I've I've run two now. Good. So, yeah. Yeah. It's great. And then clear. you were saying that um, you you yes, I'm sorry. And and you were telling me in another conversation that you um, if you said to the graduates of your program, if you would like referrals from me. Explain mm -hmm. and the supervision piece, because yeah. I thought that was so, really valuable and important too. Thank you. So I think one of the challenges of using someone else's model, and it is a very particular thing, the workbook, and I've used it with really like, you know, a couple of hundred clients. I don't want to over-egg it. So I don't quite know exactly how many clients I've used it with, probably more. Um, and... I measure the outcomes and the outcomes have been really positive. And so it was a case of mentoring them or coaching them to use this live. It's one thing getting the theory or using it on yourself. It's another thing pacing with other people. And so, yeah. And also because I had this really long waiting list, I said, uh, you know, you don't have to come into supervision with me. Again, trying to keep the doors wide open. But if you want referrals from me, then you need. To, I need to be coaching you because I don't want to be saying this person is someone I can refer you to, and and then I regret it later. Um, so uh, that worked really well. The whole of the eight cohort came, came into supervision with me. They've had two years and we're just now literally ending our supervision agreement. And they're going to do peer Cause, supervision Because they've proven them. themselves. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. And they're ready to go. And they want to carry on kind of peer, but they don't want to keep paying for the supervision, I think. But that's not fully sure. the case because some of them will continue with me anyway in supervision. So that that's fine. The second cohort. And if there's and a difficult they, case, I'm sure they can always contact you, oh, Julie. I'm sorry. Absolutely. We have a little lag here with the UK, but 
I mean, for me, I, I love the opportunity to supervise other mental health professionals who, uh, you know, basically don't know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. And, but they've been working with somebody that's approached me saying, my therapist doesn't know anything. And I, exactly. but they have to be willing to work and learn and put the, put the effort in and get, get the uh, mentoring and supervision. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And they really have. And we just met last weekend. And, uh, you know, it's just thrilling for me to hear, you know, how they're progressing and their intelligence and independence and applying it. And then me sometimes challenging, like, actually, just slow down. You don't have to rush through this book, um, you know, in 10 minutes. It's right. it's therapy. Um keeping that balance so yeah that and I get a steady stream of people who show an interest in it but it it has to be small but let me just say that there are now 13 therapists trained one is actually in LA mm -hmm. and one in Los Angeles and one is in Adelaide Australia she's a psychologist and um great um so that's great. You have an international outreach now that you yes. can refer people to. <laughs> it's awesome. And I do. So as you know, um, I've been working yeah. I've been working on an online course to try to put the foundational uh, information out, at least from my point of view of what I found important. But it's only the beginning of an education. And of yeah. course I have tons of interviews with former members of different types of cults, whether it's a political cult or a therapy cult or, you know, Christian cult, Buddhist cult, you know, Marxist cult, etc. Yeah. But the idea is how can we get this material out plan on a planetary basis, get it, you know, subtitled in all different languages, and organize trainings and supervision and, and the peer, the peer work is great. It's one of the models that helped me develop professionally was having really? Dan Brown be the, the, the major teacher, but the psychologists and social workers and therapists, we'd get together and present cases. And Dan would always start by, you know, saying, the history of the problem, the history of how who first identified it and what the approaches were, and then how it's evolved, et cetera. So we'd get a little lecture and then he would, you know, explain case examples and then give specific, you know, direction to whoever was presenting uh, a case. And and I did that for 25 years with him and he's he was a genius. He just passed away unfortunately, he of did. cancer, but brilliant oh, forensic psychologist. Yeah. Really. Me too. I mean, the it great, extraordinarily... the great thing. Of... Yeah. Please. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. That's really sad when you've known someone that long. It's uh, really sad. Yeah. Yeah. He I, taught I was just me so much. Say... We have a little time lag, so I apologize because yeah. I'm talking and you haven't finished and you're talking, etc. I'm talking. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Our listeners will yeah. figure it out. Yeah. 
So what I'd like to do next, if you don't mind, is talk to me a little bit more um, about the types of groups that you've experienced um, uh, helping people with. I, I'm sure you had Christian Bible-esque type cults, uh, maybe MLMs, multi-level marketing. Talk about uh, if there's any specific advice or things you've observed with, with different populations of course of control or mind control. Well, I'm just going to step back again slightly as well on this one in that sure. the recovery workbook that I developed is designed to, to work with all the different groups. So okay. the therapist is not going to be, even former member therapists are not going to be the expert on probably anything other than their own group. So, mm -hmm. and I mean, I, you know, I, like, I think you are an expert on a lot of different groups, but I think you're unusual in that you've really studied a lot of them in a lot of detail, probably partly being an exit counselor, you've had to go into great depth, haven't you? Um, but, uh, but these 40 people years also, and Exactly. Yeah. Go on. But these people don't have anything like that depth of knowledge of the different types of groups. And so and yep. so what I taught them was that if they use the recovery workbook, the client will teach them about their culture, the culture of the cult. And mm. they have to keep looking out for the loaded language because they can get caught. They can think they're speaking the same language and they're not. And so I really overtly teach them to do that. And in supervision, I'm questioning, I'm challenging. Actually, have you thought you're using, you're saying the client's using that word, but actually that's loaded language. And so it has a meaning to, to that person that's loaded by the cult, the cult, then that thought stopping language. And so, um, and so, yeah, so the workbook does work well. And I've worked with, I haven't actually had anyone specifically from an MLM, multi-level marketing, although mm -hmm. I have to say some of the groups that aren't multi-level marketing actually are multi-level marketing. <laughs> they, level, they market yeah, themselves absolutely. on many the levels. And they get a piece yeah. of whatever they bring in from the recruits, like Nexium or Scientology yeah. or a lot of these yeah. coaching, coaching cults. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and so talk I've about mainly... people born into cults. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, we, we really have no, a lag. No, I was just going to uh, talk. Talk about. Go ahead, please. I was just going to say about the types of people that have come to me. Uh, in the UK, there's a group called the Jesus Army, which the survivors have actually mm -hmm. brought down, basically. The group has, has had to close down and they're having to allocate the funds to the, the survivors. So I've had quite a lot of uh, input into uh, and worked with uh, quite a few of those people. and. 
I'm not keen on naming too many groups, but I, I've worked across a lot of different types of groups and the workbook has worked well with it, with, with, with them. Yeah, if I may say, because Scientology indoctrinates their people to fear mental health professionals, especially psychologists, psychologists and such, before they'll come to a counselor, they have to get to a certain level of understanding mm -hmm. about phobias, for example, and realizing that Hubbard was just trying to keep a monopoly, saying, I'm the only one who can help you, you know, get better and 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 develop yourself, right? But once uh, the, the, that spell, the phobia is broken and people are sitting there going, I'm learning more in this hour than I learned in 10 years in Scientology, you know, it gets easier over time. Right. Yeah, right. And then you were asking me about second generation or multi-generation. Yes, please. Um, yeah. So those who are born in... Yeah, again, the, the workbook and the model works for all those different populations. First generation, like myself and yourself, who joined as adults. Um, the mm -hmm. second and multi-generation, I've worked with some who were born in very enclosed groups and very tight, um, very little exposure to the outside world. Uh, though those who'd mm -hmm. been out for a while, they weren't coming straight out into post-cult counselling and really helped them to move forward in their lives uh, in a very mm -hmm. marked way. Mm -hmm. uh, so, th so, so there's a, a lot to say about second and multi-generation and it's it, a lot of it's around identity. Uh, and th there's mm -hmm. a lot written about this in the literature you know, if if somebody joins a cult, they have some level of identity from before they join. They've had right. a life experience that they can draw on. They may have trauma before yep. uh, that needs healing later, but uh, second and multi generation don't have that uh, that sense of identity or that experience from before, and so they need help to actually pull out the the kernels or the seeds of themselves. So I have a worksheet, one of the first worksheets, which is on identity, which is the first worksheet mm -hmm. is either first generation, who were you before? Or second right. generation, who is your family? Like, what family are you from? Like, the cult mm -hmm. isn't... It didn't go on till the beginning of your family up the generations. So what is there else that's right. there you can draw on? The second sheet is who right. were you in? What aspects of the pseudo-identity mm. or the cult identity or your authentic identity was showing up there? And then kind of who do you want to be mm. now? And, and actually... Mm. And so we work with those sheets throughout the whole book. It's like, oh, you love music. Okay, you always love music. Okay, so these are aspects of your identity, of who you are, of what you love to do, that we really pull out. Mm -hmm. And I've learned 
uh, and I've I've tried to articulate this in you know in the recovery workbook and the book that I've written, which uh, we'll come to. But so the book it's is, more does the book yeah. when it comes out, Jilly. I'm sorry to interrupt, but the yes. book that's coming mm -hmm. out is that contain the material of the workbook that you've been referencing throughout this. Yes. Okay, because I, I, I was imagining someone listening to this. Oh, the workbook. How do I get it? <laughs> and so <laughs> yes. just be patient and you can buy yeah. it, right, is, is the message. So the workbook. Uh, spring which, of 2023. Correct. And that's so the workbook, uh, the book is the recovery workbook on steroids. <laughs> so... The recovery workbook, as it is now, requires a therapist to go through it with the client. That it is doesn't have it's the bare bones of information as a springboard for a conversation between the the client and the counselor uh -huh. or the therapist. But yep. the book I've tried to articulate and put into words what the 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 client might need to know. But there are lots of worksheets as well, so. There's the opportunity Great. to chew over, you know, chew over the theory, think about it. Does it apply? Is it, um, is it applicable? Uh, so to really help the individual to um, make the connections between the cult experience and what they're experiencing in the present day. Yeah, I can't wait yeah. to read it. And uh, I well, think thank it's... You. It's a wonderful contribution that you've done, and it's wonderful. Thank you. Um, so I, I, there's so many th other things that I want to ask you, but are there any themes of what is unethical? Because you said earlier in this uh, that a lot of unethical uh, behavior is happening with working with former cult members. Did you want to say anything further about that? Well, I think not recognizing the cult is unethical uh, because it's yeah. such a huge experience. It's, it's like someone who's come out of domestic violence and going, oh, okay, well, let's talk about everything else other than the domestic violence uh it's just it's just not yep okay actually but i do understand that therapists are at a great disadvantage because they're not taught uh these things on their core trainings and exactly. i mean you've only just created this training for therapists and me in the last what three or four years you have just yours is more accessible than mine because it's it's online which is fantastic um hmm. um they're they're they've been at a disadvantage and for me i have made sure that I went to the International Cultic Studies Association conferences for the last kind of 15 years. There wasn't anywhere else to get the training. Um, yep. And I've been mentored by people within ICSA and um, Paul Martin and people. So I worked really hard to find people who could mentor me, who were healthy, ethical people. Um, yep. 
uh, I, I mean, you do hear terrible stories about things going wrong in therapy, but that could happen to anybody, you know, when you get an unethical therapist. But I think if I think back to myself, and uh, I think there's a, a level of vulnerability probably, um, especially Definitely. if you don't know how the world works and you need someone solid and ethical and good who's going to make sure that that they hold the boundaries, even if other people don't know how to hold the boundaries, if that makes sense. Totally. I'll and just state what you just said in, in a more absolute yeah. way, if I may, which is when I was trained initially as a mental health professional, I was told explicitly, if someone comes to you and they have an addiction problem and you're not trained to work with addictions, you have an obligation to refer them or get training and supervision, explain to the client you don't have any training yet, you know, et cetera, but really get supervision. Um, and But there are so many therapists, especially here in the States, who have family members who were in cults, especially the MAGA cult, where they think the election was stolen and QAnon and all of that. And they have no clue how to help their own loved ones, much less address someone who's saying, how do I help my daughter? She's gone down this rabbit hole of conspiracy, you know, cults, yeah. et cetera, right? And they don't think to even go online to say, is there anyone who works with this? And what works and what doesn't work, right? And, you know, I, I use a video of a former client, Jilly, who, and I have a version of your two-week uh, thing. I, I discovered a one-week intensive where I work six to seven hours a day, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, with the person just really doing the intensive work because 45 minutes to an hour session once a week can take years to process. Yeah. Whereas, you know, and a lot of former cult members are used to intensive workshops and they have a high mm -hmm. capacity to be able to sit and concentrate. And they're like sponges, they really wanna learn. So, and I give them homework assignments too. But, um, uh, so many, so many therapists break boundaries, or they, they, they ask the person, as you were saying, how do you feel about that? Versus giving them the psychoeducation for the now, and then teaching them how to use that knowledge to help themselves, their cult identity, get integrated and absorbed, saving the good stuff that they learned in the cult and owning it and not just attributing it to the cult and being grateful to the the guru or whatever, but going, no, I've already... And part of my process when I came out was just reading The Divine Principle, which is the Mooney's doctrinal book, and picking it apart and seeing how it was stolen from so many other sources and how many Bible verses were taken out of context and a lot of what I needed to do is meet with theologians, Jewish and Christian ones, and learn what you know Judaism and Christianity actually teaches versus what the Moonies said it taught. And it, it re-centered mm -hmm. me in me. 
because I wasn't what looking I for a religious group over. at all, by the way. Yeah, please go right. ahead. Exactly. And I, I wasn't either, actually. I wasn't looking for a religious group. But I call that chewing over. Um, there's a gestalt psychotherapy theory about introjects and about think what we take into ourselves. with, And it sits like undigested food in the stomach. Pearls use the idea mm -hmm, of food mm -hmm. and teeth instead of Freud's kind of developmental stages. And actually yep. found it worked really well, the idea that instead of having swallowed something whole and it just sits in there causing trouble, you chew, You have to mm. chew it over. You take what's nourishing, just like the body does, and you eliminate what isn't nourishing, yep. which is what you've just said in your own words. So Yeah, no, yeah. I love that. I mean I love and I studied Fritz Pearls and Gestalt early in my you? training oh, as you? well. So did I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about. He also taught the empty chair technique, if my memory serves me correctly, yes. which is how you can do unfinished business with a deceased yeah. relative or a former cult leader that you wanna say what you really think about. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's one technique yeah, out of great. many, but uh, it can be really useful. Right. And I have done that. I've also done it in a sand tray with little figures. A sand tray can be great fun because it's kind of contained. You can get a figure for the cult leader and you can be there and you can throw them out the, out the sand tray. You can bury them, stamp on them. You can shout at them and it, it kind of objectifies it a bit. So that's, that can be. Quite, yeah, I learned about uh, that in ideas. play therapy. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. learned about that in play therapy for children. I hadn't thought about right. it for adults, but why not? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, it's, well, we the learned bottom line it is on do what works for your client. Uh -huh. Beg your pardon? No, I, I'm saying we need to customize what's going to be effective for the person that we're working with. Yeah. Not what exactly. was interesting exactly. to us, but what where we yeah. think they're at and what they're missing or what's blocking them that can move them forward. And the, your introduction of sand tray therapy makes me want to just comment about expressive therapies of all types, including mm -hmm. art and music and dance mm -hmm. and body sculpting, as we did in family mm -hmm. therapy treatment uh, approaches because not everything is talk therapy in terms of digesting things. Exactly. So it's, yeah. So it's one thing I just would like to mention is from my PhD research, I learned that I, I kind of mm -hmm. formulated the theory of four phases. Now, look, lots of people have talked about phases and stages, and I understand that. And I had a look at if it fitted with theirs, but this is kind of a very simple structure for go thinking in terms of the therapy is that the individual needs to leave in phase one, they need to leave physically if they're going to begin to recover psychologically. Um, if somebody's yep. still in the cult or the abusive relationship, it's very hard for them to progress. And then phase two Agreed. is when they've left. You agree? Yeah. Phase two is 
when they I'm not left, surprised that we agree because we're both, you know, no, working with the same population. I'm, I'm not and we surprised. want to keep growing and learning. But please continue. Phase two so is... So phase two is, is the recovery workbook. And is that my book fits into phase two, really. Um, and... Good. It's it's helping them to understand psychologically what happened to them. Then phase three mm -hmm. is the ordinary therapy. And that's why I'm wanting to say this, is that there is a place for therapy, trauma therapy, dealing with grief, loss. If somebody's been shunned by their parents when they've left or their family or anybody when they've left, they're going to be devastated, but they need to understand what happened to them before processing the feelings. Otherwise, you're processing right. the cult identity and not the authentic identities. And this is where therapists mm -hmm. can really fall down in a nutshell. And then phase four is helping mm -hmm. that person see when they are recovered enough. Like I'm recovered, but I can trigger and I can have memories that upset me or something might be what I call a pattern match uh, to the past and it might trigger mm. me off. But it doesn't mean that I'm not mm. mainly recovered. It just means that I have memories and sometimes they trigger off. Uh, so in a nutshell, and the book right, and to be is able to name it. And yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. I was just going to say, when it. you get triggered, to be yeah. able to go, oh, I got triggered. What was it that triggered yeah. me? Yeah. And then you can exactly. process that that cue. Please continue. Exactly. So in the, the book is kind of structured on the phases, but I've called them. So there's a, a map in the book. I had an illustrator draw a map of the the recovery journey that the this book will take you on and um so it goes through the regions because it's like a map if you were on a hike or something and um you go through the different yep. regions past different milestones which are the different subjects in the recovery workbook with illustrations throughout that can be colored in because i thought that could be a bit of fun and so that that it's that kind of structures my thinking in terms of therapy. Mm -hmm. It's great, and um, all I can say also is that I found that um, the journey of healing is a bit like an onion, where you're peeling back layers, and you thought you finished that subject, but as you grow and learn more you get a little deeper and a little deeper. So it's not like, oh, know that and it's finished. It's it's much more of a journey. And as you were saying so correctly, in my opinion, you, you want to mine the good stuff. You know, like I learned mm -hmm. how to public speak in the Moonies. Like I was mm -hmm. a shy poet who was afraid, very uncomfortable to read my poem to a class of 20 students. And then the Moonies, I'm speaking to you know hundreds of people at a time extemporaneously. I got out of the Moonies and I was like, wait a minute, I should be able to do this because I used to do this in the cult. But then I started speaking out against the cult using that sense of 
anchoring in my body and 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 being grounded and thinking what the message is, etc. It's really, really so powerful and important. I was going to say that I, I, in the training that I've just created, I had a former client who had been in a Bible called the Boston Church of Christ for 13 years as a leader, got out and was suicidal and doing self-harm. And she was in the mental health system for 11 years, incorrectly treated, misdiagnosed, and um, um, and she was being given DBT, which was helping on some level with the symptoms, but making it worse because it triggered the shunning piece. Because in DBT, if, if the client breaks the boundary, the, the therapist is supposed to cut off, and they didn't understand that. Anyway, long story short, after I did an intensive with her, she got off all of her medication, she stopped having any impulses of self-harm or suicidality. And when she heard I was going to give a talk to Judith Hermans, um, who's one of the foremost psychiatrists in trauma, mm -hmm. I was asked to do a training for the clinicians. She begged me to speak. And I was like, I don't know. It's, you know, it's, we don't want to mix boundaries. And, but her therapist said that would be great for her. And Judy Herman said, great. And so I showed the video of her uh, teaching clinicians and explaining all the things they did wrong. Like, for example, nobody said, what's the name of the group? And Googled it, you know, Boston Church of Christ plus cult plus brainwashing. You know, They could have found all kinds of information and former members. And because they didn't know, they just heard she left the church. At points, their therapist was saying, why don't you call up your church friends and get some support, mm -hmm. which was the opposite of what she needed to hear. She had been a professional artist at Disney, right? And in, in her treatment, she's drawing these like very red satanic images and everything. And the therapist, instead of saying, really interesting, what, what does this represent? What does that represent? They were saying to her, why don't you draw something nice and uplifting? <laughs> so in, in my course, I have her explaining all the mistakes that for 11 years, wow. you know? Well, yeah, I recognize and, and those as been, well. Ah, ah, oh. but... Yeah. It's, it's it's maltreatment, really. Yeah, yeah. They they were well intentioned therapists. Yeah, the, it's the danger of you don't know what you don't know, and you're not being curious enough. And curiosity needs to be our main ingredient of what, not the assumption of uh, somehow I I think something about this, but what does it mean to that person? Yeah, exactly. So much to say. And, and for me, I deliberately have learned to structure my work. I do short-term work only with former members. I don't want to encourage a dependency on me. And I take the frame of, it's your mind, you should control it. I look, think of me more as a coach than the man who knows everything. And I'll often ask people 
to come up with their own solutions for whatever is troubling them. And if they don't know, I can give them little guidance tips and stuff. But I want them to leave my work with me with a toolbox where they feel confident on knowing how to discern what's healthy, what's not. They, they come to trust themselves in their judgment, even though they were conned and lied to or manipulated or indoctrinated. So it's a very like present-centered approach to a positive future goal. And my what I've learned over the years is, you know, you need to have a positive future goal. And when when former members come out, they're like, I don't know what I want to do. And I'm like, pick pick something. You can always change your mind later, but pick something. And if they did join later, I joined at 19, find what they were interested in then. Like for me, I dropped out of college when I got in the Moonies. So, oh, okay, I'm gonna go back to college and finish my degree, right? But I also knew my concentration was terrible. My memory was terrible. I just, I, so I said, in a year, I'm gonna go back to college. And what helped me was helping people get out of the Moonies. So I was doing deprogramming, then exit counseling. And with each case, I was cleaning up another part of my cult identity, because there was the Steve as the Mooney sitting on the couch, uh, spitting back the same sentences that I did. <laughs> yeah. So it really helped me process. But that was against my my father's wishes. He just wanted me to forget it and move on. And I was like, A, I feel guilty for all the people I recruited. And B, I have this cast on my leg. I can't go anywhere and people are needing my help. I was a leader. I know everything about this group, at least in America. So it was very healing for me to, to mm -hmm. you know, be involved with people and help them. And and who knew it was going to evolve to a lifetime of this, but it that's what happened. I'm and I agree with. I think I agree with all the things you've said about sort of reports back from therapists, the 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 kind of approach, the intensity. With some people, I find they love to do what I've called time away for post cult counselling. Uh, and I've done it online a few times over the pandemic and being in lockdown. Um, I think it works yeah. really well. And I think that was the Wellspring model was to have a really intense, you know, um, two to four, maybe six weeks. And then people would move on. Um, so I yeah. do think it needs speeding up. I, I really agree with that. I'm hoping my book will help. Yeah therapists to have some model to actually really set out that they can use almost instantly <clears throat> excuse me instantly well anyone who's so, taking my course is going to be directed to you and this interview <laughs> and you. your book so well, uh, thank there, you. there's a uh, lot and, more um go ahead I was just going to say, same here. I've already told all of the people that I've trained, I've said, look, here's some more CPD, you know, and it's really targeted for therapists working with former members. And so, you know, it's worth doing because there isn't much else. What's and they need CPD? exposure. Continuing professional yeah, what's development. CPD? 
uh, continuing for, for, the, for our listeners. Yeah. yeah. And I want to just, as so, we wrap up, yeah. Jilly, I just want to yes. highlight, if I may, for a second, just the fact that you did this training course for former members who became mental health professionals, but never got to the point of real integration and intellectual understanding necessary mm -hmm. to really be a good therapist with this um, clients. And I just want to say categorically, how many ex-cult members are now um, promoting themselves as cult experts saying they can help people get out of radicalized states or destructive cults. And they have no qualifications other than they were in a cult. And uh, how dangerous that could potentially be. Yeah. I mean, that's another reason why I wanted to train the, the former members who've done the work, because I agree. I, I have real concerns that... Uh, they don't. Un they haven't been taught ethical boundaries. They're just relying on their own good sense. And if they haven't worked out the cult yeah. stuff, they may not be strong exactly. on boundaries. They may just be rescuing and and not actually necessarily going to be helpful. But anyway, I keep out of that. Yeah, well, there's, Steve. there's just... rescuing in terms of helping people exit and realize the group is oh, yeah, bad that, uh, or it yeah, isn't biblical. Yeah. But then yeah. there's all the real work that comes after that, as you were saying. Yes. Yeah. Dr. Jilly Jenkinson, what an amazing woman. I'm so uh, proud of her for all of the work that she's done. She has a forthcoming book that's going to be great. Uh, to help former members recover. I'm sure it will be great for clinicians. And all I can say is, the unfortunately, there was a technology problem at the very end. Um, and I want to thank her again. Please look out for her book and our blog with the video of our interview on our website, Freedom of Mind. Thank you again. Take care. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast by Nasser Malik. To read in-depth articles about influence, both positive and negative, visit my website at freedomofmind.com. On Twitter and Instagram, my handle is at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience and will really help you fully grasp the complex web of undue influence. I also have a three-and-a-half-hour online course titled Understanding Cults, The Basics, which can be found on my website. If you're a former cult member, I congratulate you on your bravery, invite you to use the hashtag IGotOut, and join our online community at IGotOut.org. Thanks for listening, and remember, love is stronger than mind control.